It's time for us to do something. Good evening and welcome to Pello Talk. I'm Dave Pello, and tonight we've got a great show coming up. We're going to be talking to the uh, initiator, the convener of an exciting new movement in uh, Victoria, which is going to benefit all of Australians. Uh, but right now, that's all about fighting for democracy. Look, I'm, I'm actually really excited because we have got a letter from uh, two Australian federal MPs, an open letter to the Chief Health Officer of Queensland. And this decision is also going to be uh, relevant uh, coming up in Victoria very soon. But let me just read the letter for itself and uh, then we might go to an interview. Uh, so the letter says, uh, Dear Dr Young, on this Friday, 2nd of October 2020, the order you previously made under Section 362B of the Public Health Act 2005 Queensland, which criminalised the prescribing of hydroxychloroquine, HCQ, by doctors in Queensland to treat uh, COVID-19, expires. And we call on you to not take any action to extend this order. By allowing this order to lapse, you would bring an end to the unprecedented interference in the sanctity of the doctor-patient relationship. This has denied Queensland doctors the freedom to prescribe a medical treatment that many doctors worldwide believe is highly effective to substantially reduce the risk of death in COVID-19 patients, especially those in high-risk groups. In light of the growing weight of recently published medical evidence, much of it peer-reviewed, which has found that HCQ is relatively safe, reduces deaths, and reduces the need for hospitalizations in COVID-19 patients when administered under the supervision of a doctor, Extending the current ban and thereby denying Queenslanders access to this medical treatment could be both a breach of human rights and potentially constitute crimes against humanity. In considering your decision, I also remind you of the principle primum non nocere, first do no harm. Therefore, the applicable standard you must apply in considering an extension of this ban is that you must be able to demonstrate beyond all reasonable doubt that HCQ is both ineffective to treat COVID-19 and is so unsafe that doctors cannot be trusted to prescribe it. Therefore, in considering your decision, I draw to your attention the following. One, the advice from the National Evidence COVID Task Force that HCQ was not recommended is substantially reliant upon the results of the recovery trial. However, this trial has since been discredited and debunked given that patients administered HCQ in this trial were loaded up with excessive toxic overdose of 2,400 milligrams within the first 24 hours. Further, medical experts have suggested that the reason for such an excessive dose was that it was likely that those setting up this trial may have confused hydroxychloroquine with hydroxyquinoline. Two of the most recent studies, this is number two, Two of the most recent studies, only published last week from North America and Europe, have concluded that HCQ is relatively safe to treat COVID-19 patients. The first study published on 25th of September 2020 in EP Europace, a journal of the European Society of Cardiology with lead author Dr. Alessio Gasparetti of Monzino Cardiology Centre Milan, Italy, and University Hospital Zurich, Switzerland, concluded that, quote, HCQ administration is safe for a short-term treatment of patients with COVID-19 infection, end quote. Point three, several earlier studies which concluded that HCQ was ineffective 
have since undergone comprehensive detailed reanalysis, which has found that the original conclusions were not only in error, but that the data indicates the exact opposite, that HCQ is effective for treating COVID-19. Point four, there is now a very significant body of studies that have found HCQ is associated with substantially reducing both death and hospitalizations in COVID-19 patients. All these studies can be found at this website, c19study.com, obviously short for COVID-19, c19study.com. And rather than detailing all these studies in this letter, I would specifically draw, your, drew, draw to your attention a meta-analysis study by Prodomosat et al., uh, Prodomo, Prodomos et al., which concluded, quote, HCQ has been shown to have consistent clinical efficacy for COVID-19 when it is used early in the outpatient setting and in general would appear to work better the earlier it is used. Overall, HCQ is effective against COVID-19. There is no credible evidence that HCQ results in worsening of COVID-19. HCQ has been shown to be safe for the treatment of COVID-19 when responsibly used, end quote. Point five and final point, there is no longer a supply issue with HCQ in Australia. It is well known that Mr. Clive Palmer has sourced over 30 million doses of HCQ, which he donated free of charge to the nation, and these supplies sit ready and available in the national medical stockpile. In summary, whatever justification you have had in making the original order has collapsed and is no longer valid. As is often said, when the facts change, I change my opinion. What do you do? Therefore, we trust that you will do the right thing by all Queenslanders and, in fact, all Australians and not extend this order. And that letter was written by George Christensen, MP, and Craig Kelly, MP. Well, what do you think? Uh, we've got some uh, comments coming in and uh, I'd love to see what you think. Would you, if your doctor recommended it and you were diagnosed with COVID-19, agree to a treatment of hydroxychloroquine? Have you seen the studies which debunked it? Have you seen the studies which uh, gave it credit and, and said, look, this actually could work? Well, Joining me earlier today, uh, because it's his birthday, is uh, Craig Kelly, MP. So I'll load up that and uh, share it with you right now. Craig Kelly, thank you so much for joining uh, The Good Source tonight and Pillow Talk Live, and happy birthday. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, 57 today sort of thing. So it's, uh, we're still out working, still fighting the good cause. So. Good on you. Long, long may you continue. Now, you and uh, one of the Good Source contributors, uh, his really important job, as well as being a federal member of parliament, um, George Christensen, have written an open letter today uh, to the Queensland Chief Health Officer, Dr Jeanette Young, asking her to do nothing, not extend her ban on hydroxychloroquine. Tell me what motivated this letter. Okay, firstly, just by way of background, Hydroxychloroquine is a drug. It's probably the first politically incorrect drug that we've had in the history of medicine. Uh, many countries around the world are actively using it. In fact, the majority of countries of the world are actually using it. But there's a few countries, which Australia is one of them, that has actually banned doctors from prescribing it. Now, this is unprecedented uh, in our history that the medical uh, chief medical officers of each state have stepped in and they've exercised their powers under state medical acts and they prohibited doctors from actually prescribing this drug. Now, my argument is to do so, you are interfering 
in the sanctity of the doctor-patient relationship. It's basically some bureaucrat in our capital cities saying that they know better than the treating doctor and they want to take this right away from the treating doctor. Now, um, to do that, you need absolutely overwhelming evidence that you are right. Now, the evidence on hydroxychloroquine was originally mixed, but what we've seen in the past uh, month and six weeks is that the evidence is overwhelming that any ban is completely and utterly misconstrued. We've had study after study after study, uh, which indicates hydroxychloroquine uh, is, is, is safe, relatively safe. This is a drug that has been around for, remember, for 60 years. And also, most, the vast majority of the trials are showing that it actually reduces deaths and reduces hospitalizations. Now, in those given circumstances, to continue the ban, now the reality is by continuing the ban, what you're actually doing, you are stopping uh, a person, a sick person, getting supply of a drug. Now, I'm saying that's not only uh, you know, a breach of human rights. That actually sort of extends into the territory, um, you know, where it's a crime against humanity. Now, I know that's, I know that's a big word and that's big, a big call. But if, you are, if you're preventing a sick person getting food or medicine, in this case, you would say that is a, uh, a crime against humanity. And in this case, what we're having our state medical officers preventing Australian citizens from having access to a medicine, which the now, evidence... something um, if you can clarify something for me, I thought that the Therapeutic Goods Administration was a federal body which oversaw the safety and and guidelines for for drugs and and pharmaceuticals in Australia. Okay, firstly, hydroxychloroquine is a lawful drug, okay? It's used for uh, lupus. It's used for rheumatoid arthritis. If mm. you're going over to an area where there's malaria, uh, you would be prescribed that by your doctor. So it's a, lawful, it's a lawful drug. And it's use, many doctors prescribe drugs, what they call off-label, which means for uses other than what's particularly specified for. Now, the TGA has come in and said, we recommend against it, right? And But it's the state level. It's actually the state health uh, chief state health officer in each state that has put in a ban so for example how have they done that is there dual jurisdiction or every, how does that work each state has its own legislation so for example in queensland it's the queensland health act of 2005 i think it's section 362b off the top of my head that mm -hmm. gives the state chief health officer of that state the power to step in and to prohibit a doctor from prescribing, uh, from basically prescribing a particular drug. Now that's happened in hydroxychloroquine, and in Queensland, it's not only uh, it, it's not only stopped the doctors are prevented from doing it. The penalty is six months in jail. Wow! So, so we have this absurd situation where we've got reports from all around the world and peer-reviewed studies where they're looking at hydroxychloroquine, which have said it reduces the death rates by you know if they found that it's associated with reducing death rates by seventy percent and up to one hundred hundred percent, and there was a a doctor recently in California that said he's had 1,500 uh, positive COVID patients. He says 450 of them that were seriously sick, right, treated them with hydroxychloroquine and zinc, and his deaths, zero. Wow. But, but one of the most uh, the compelling evidence is the comparison with Greece against Italy. Now, mm -hmm. Greece actually has a uh, an older population. And so, sorry, sorry, again, Greece versus Victoria. Now, okay. Greece has 
Greece has an older population than Victoria. It's something like 24%, I think it is, of the Greek population is over 65. Mm -hmm. Or I think it's something like 15% of the Australian population is over 65. So Greece has an older population. So, so they've got a higher profile risk. Yeah, so you think they would have much Sorry, higher, a higher risk profile. That's what you think they'd have much higher rates of uh, corona cases and especially corona deaths, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Greece also has a population of about 10.7 million to about 6.5 million in Victoria. So uh, Greece has got a bigger population, an elderly population, and they're closer to a lot of these hotspots of the coronavirus uh, sure. over in Europe. Now, but yet when you look at the death toll, Greece has had less than half the number of deaths than what Victoria has. Uh, wow. Victoria's case fatality rate is now approaching 4%. Uh, in Greece, it's something like 2.2. So that's the percentage of people that actually test positive that go on to die. And so it's, presumably they haven't had a ban on doctors prescribing you've hydroxychloroquine. Got, you've got, what's the difference between, uh, between Greece and Italy? Uh, Greece doesn't have a ban on hydroxychloroquine. A final pointy question for you. Uh, how have your discussions with uh, SCOMO on this topic gone? Well, I've been in with discussions with uh, the Prime Minister's office and also Greg Hunters that helped. Now, they're basically, and I can understand the position that they take, they say, look, we have to rely upon the recommendations of the TGA. And we've also set up another group called the National COVID Evidence Task Force. To be clear, the TGA hasn't banned this, have they? No, the TGA has recommended it be banned and the states ban it. And there's but also they, the TGA has left it up to practising doctors, treating doctors to make always, that. It was always that way. Remember, this is a this has been a lawful drug for 60 years that doctors have been able to use for the purposes, and they've also been able uh, you know, to, um, to prescribe it for off-label use. So it's always been lawful. Now, the TGA has put up a recommendation that it not be used. There's also mm -hmm. another group that the federal government has set up which is called the National COVID Evidence Task Force. Right? And they're meant to look at the evidence, not ignore the evidence. And they've come up with a recommendation not to use hydroxychloroquine to treat COVID. Now, so fair enough to the minister, if he sets up these specialised task force... And was that based on evidence? Did they provide that evidence? Well, that, yeah, that was, well, that was based on the recovery trial, right? So this National Evidence COVID Task Force, you go to their website and they say, the bulk of our evidence of our decision comes from the recovery trial. And this is the trial I was talking about before. Yeah, yeah. They, thoroughly discredited, thoroughly person. not fit for purpose. Yeah, yeah. So, so, purpose. so they, never, they never included zinc. They gave, they gave it to the patients too late. Now, if you give yep. any, you know, everyone knows if you give medical treatment for any particular uh, illness or disease, if you give it too late, it's not effective. Hmm. So these guys, they didn't include it in the way, they didn't include zinc. They gave it late. And they gave it toxic overdoses. Crazy. So how, how anyone how anyone can actually hold that um, you know recovery trial up and say, oh, look, this is what I base my evidence on. It's a complete and utter embarrassment to them and a joke. Mm. Now, I, I've written to all these people. They're all fully aware of the details behind this recovery trial. And yet they're still maintaining that recommendation, which the state chief medical uh, officers are relying upon in making their decision to deny Australians access to this drug. Send Are they dodging the question or answering it well, satisfactorily? They, well, they've basically come back and they say, oh, well, we think maybe that there could be a possibility that it sort of could work under some circumstances in the right 
population group in the right time. So, so they're crab walking. Like every medication on the planet? Yeah, so they're crab walking away from <laughs> the position that they are. And that's why I thought this letter that George and myself was penned. Is, is that a publishable response? Have they not released a, a memo or a, a press release saying the crab walk? Hey, maybe maybe not it's not as... Not but you can see there... there well, it's public... not like people are dying or anything. Maybe they should just take their time. Well, that's right. That's, that's the issue too. With the results that you're seeing from other jurisdictions where hydroxychloroquine is available, you could you don't need these brutal lockdowns because you wouldn't have the high death rates that we have. And remember, the, the case fatality rate in Victoria is now higher. That's, that's the number of deaths per um, uh, positive infections is now yep. above the rate in the USA. Gee. Now, now so we're getting, we're getting close to 4% in Victoria, our case fatality rates. Which is very, which is significantly higher. So it's mm. above the rate in the USA. It's substantially above the uh, rate in a place like Greece, huh? and and yet we're continuing on our way for the, this ban, which I just think yep. it's just not good enough. It's you know, people are um, you know, mm. people are actually dying, and their relatives are not known, and now they're going to be hit with the question for the rest of their lives. Geez, maybe hydroxychloroquine could have helped them. Yeah. Huh? Now they deserve. That's a right. They deserve that. They deserve. If their doctor thinks simply, all I'm saying, if their doctor thinks it can help, all right, and their doctors, their treating doctor has done his homework and he knows the patient, he knows all the special conditions that they might have, and the doctor thinks, hey, look, I, I want to sit down with you. I think this is worth a crack. This is worth a try. These are the pros. These are the cons. This is the evidence for. This is the evidence against. And they mm. sit down and make that decision as. You do in a free democracy, right? And yet we've taken that right away from people. And that's what I'm, you know, really, really upset about. And that's why you know, we were prepared to get that letter out today and then just amazed that it's been censored. So, uh, you know, not one paper would put it in there, um, you know, not one major paper would publish that for us today. That is terribly disappointing, uh, but that letter is available on The Good Source. That's goodsource.news. And immediately beneath it, I'm going to place a petition which will be addressed to the chief health officers of each state, um, asking them to not renew bans on hydroxychloroquine, to allow doctors to be doctors and to treat their patients as per their training and best evidence available, instead of interfering. Simple request, get government out of our private lives. Exactly. That's, that's, that's the bottom line. This is an interfere. This is government. This is big bureaucracy, big government interfering in the decisions between a doctor and her pa and a patient, and the evidence shows uh, these guys have got it completely and utterly wrong. Well, if you'd like to sign that petition and read that letter and follow the links to the evidence, uh, you can go to goodsource.news forward slash hcq hcq for hydroxychloroquine. Uh, and I look forward to seeing uh, many, many signatures there. Of course, read the evidence. Find out for yourselves. You won't get uh, truth and evidence hidden from you here. We trust you with the sharp knives, children. Be very, very careful. Make a decision and, and think for yourselves because you're not children. You are grown-ups and uh, you shouldn't be patronised um, by news editors or by chief health officers. Craig Kelly, thank you so much for taking this Thanks, time David. out of your Sorry, birthday. I and uh, thanks to your family for letting you go for us. It's right to do this from sort of the back of the or the front seat of the car as well, but uh, better than better than nothing, I think. We'll get the NBN to your house one day. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Cheers.
And that was Craig Kelly, MP, member for Hughes in New South Wales. And, uh, yeah, he had to drive a kilometre or two to get a, a better uh, signal uh, on his phone. Well, joining me right now, we have Monica Smith. Uh, Monica uh, is from Reignite Democracy Australia, uh, which is a fantastic thing. We're going to talk about that later in the show. We also have Topher Field. Topher and I have never chatted or spoken before um, and uh, managed to uh, find himself on the show tonight to care of an invitation from Monica. Um, but I'm actually really excited about your channel, seen your stuff before. And thank uh, you, for thank you so me. much for joining us tonight, Topher. We also have Jody Mayantu, who is a clinical counsellor in Melbourne. Uh, yes, business is booming indeed. right now, yes. Jody. Unfortunately. And uh, very, yeah, unfortunately, it's not the kind of uh, industry you want to see doing no, um, well for the wrong reasons. Uh, and of course, and finally tonight, we have uh, Corin Barraclough, uh, a world famous celebrity journalist, I love your um, <laughs> uh, most notably known. I love your intro. Sorry, Thank say you. that again. <laughs> most, well, I, I think. Uh, I think I said about George Christensen, I'm not sure if it was in, in that shorter clip, um, that his most important work wasn't federal <laughs> parliament, but contributing a weekly show to the good source. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. And uh, by the way, uh, for the viewers, um, supporters of the good source, uh, the good source is is free. This is a, a free um, live stream coming to you now. It's on the website. It's on YouTube. But there is a bonus to being a supporter. You get the extended interview with uh, Craig Kelly. That was about 13 minutes, but uh, we actually spoke for nearly 30 minutes. And you'll get that full unedited clip um, if you are a member, um, which you get just by a, a voluntary contribution of $10 a month or more. Um, and uh, we really thank all our the Good Source supporters for uh, helping this to continue happening and, and bringing daily shows, etc. Well, uh, Let's. Um, there's a lot to talk to about tonight, and, and the next topic is going to be about that toxic ideology uh, some people refer to as feminism. Um, but uh, firstly, before we move on from that topic, uh, does any of the panel have any other thoughts on hydroxychloroquine and, and the government interference in uh, what should be a decision between doctors and their patients? Can we just give Craig a little round of applause for his really good slogan? I loved his politically incorrect drug that's a really good summary of what's going on here like i'm no scientist but this is a clearly a question of government overreach isn't it you know we can't is, yep. have a drug completely banned it just doesn't make sense it's a it comes down to personal choice um and doctor's recommendation that seems just common sense to me yep We've reached a point, I think, where the only way that we're going to effectively start to wind back these kinds of overreaches is if the individuals making these very poor decisions start to be held accountable in a personal capacity. It's been too long where ministers, and we look in Victoria, none of them are taking accountability for what's happened with the hotel fiasco. None of them want to be responsible for anything. They're all going to be able to retire and walk away from that job and never be held accountable for the loss of life, the loss of, of, of economic activity, uh, the, the damage to our freedoms, etc. And for as long as that remains the case, I think we're going to continue to see the same stuff up. So, I mean, this is not a new, this is a new level, but this is not a new dynamic where government just gets their response to something completely wrong. Uh, and it's not until these people making the decisions start to actually feel vulnerable in a personal capacity, whether that's able to mm. be sued, able to be imprisoned, 
that we're going to start to see the quality of these decisions improve. And I'm very hopeful that we're going to see in Victoria some criminal charges being laid as a result of the workplace breaches that have led to deaths, uh, funnily enough, as a result of legislation that Daniel Andrews himself pushed through late last year. That'll be a very good day, and that I think would be the first step towards stopping this from happening again in future. There really isn't any accountability for politicians, is there? They, it's the, it's the. I mean, them and bureaucratic experts uh, have complete immunity from um, culpability. There's no consequences for getting it really, really wrong. Can I say something about the uh, hydroxychloroquine as well? Is something I found out is you know hydroxychloroquine has been around for 65 years more or less, and a patent on a drug like this only lasts five years. So you can only have complete monopoly over the finances and the profits of something for five years. So, you know, like most things, when you follow the money trail, you figure out who's behind it. And the censorship of hydroxychloroquine with the doctors in America was more telling than the fact that they didn't censor it. It just shows that there's a lot and a lot of people that are going to lose a lot of money. And that, to me, is the clearest reason. Mm. Indeed. There is a, uh, a comment here. I'm just going to have to delete because um, uh, it's pretty much uh, advocating for violence against those people making those decisions. So let's stop short of, of that, uh, for the, if only for the sake of, of keeping this show on Facebook and YouTube and not getting it kicked off. Uh, it's just a, a sensible um, line we might have to draw in the comments section. Um, Jody, um, how is this... Uh, affecting. I mean, what we're seeing essentially is a complete loss of agency um, for people. Have you found that in particular uh, lack of medical um, agency autonomy is is um, causing any anxiety amongst people who are coming to you for counselling? Look, <clears throat> it is absolute despair at the moment for many that are feeling this. It, um, all I can say is that especially here in Melbourne, in Victoria, you know, I'm dealing with the lockdowns as many of us are here um, and it's it's complete despair. I would absolutely say that people are going through what we would call grief. They're grieving right now and mm. there doesn't seem to be any of this common sense approach to how, you know, and any time I've ever spoken about this, about this being more than about COVID, this is about mental health here, I get shut down because people don't want it to be spoken about the mental health aspects. People are grieving. We're grieving for the life that we had. We are being treated, like Craig said, about um, being treated like children, that we can't make common sense decisions. We can't, you know, make a decision about whether we want to take this drug or whether we want to get the help or any of those sorts of things. And it's literally just being taken away from us and um mm. i'm seeing it day in and day out when i'm working with clients trying to get their head around why they feel the way they do and a lot of this can be quite triggering to other issues that they had previously being in these lockdowns because we are wired humans are wired for connection that's what we're wired for the moment we are born and the fact that we can't do that that we're being told that that's a no-no, that we're not allowed to do it, we're not allowed to hug people, we're not allowed to see people's faces, we're not allowed to connect with people that we love, that we've made memories and have a history with, that's mm. devastation and that is coming through. It's coming through not only to myself 
but through so many of my colleagues that are psychologists, psychiatrists, counsellors. And, you know, and if, if you want to even get me started on how it's, how the government's used the Band-Aid to try and fix this mental health problem, I, I could get started on what they've actually done about that because they actually haven't utilised us counsellors. They've just decided to pull in some coaches that have done a six-week course. It's kind of like a Band-Aid type system. And I would fair to say that it's kind of like a, it's going to be a big hotel quarantine disaster. What uh, what kind of, I guess, general advice um, without dealing with individual uh, triggers and histories and, you know, mother issues, et cetera, uh, what kind of general advice do you give uh, the vast number of people in Victoria um, who are experiencing all kinds of stress and trauma as a result of the, the loss of liberty here? It, I mean... I, I feel a little bit silly talking. You know, it's almost first world problems, but um, yeah, I think we were talking about with Monica on her interview with uh, Bernie Gaynor on, on the Good Source yesterday. Um, that what it feels like. It feels wrong to complain because we're in cages, but they're gilded cages, so it actually doesn't maybe feel like prison. Um, do you have any general advice, Jody, that you're giving people on on maybe validating what they're feeling and and how to uh, cope uh, better during this uh, this occasion? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the biggest advices that I give people is you need to get off mainstream media. You need to really start to look at what you are feeding this with because the more you feed it with stuff that is like mainstream media are going to be talking about stuff to make us feel fearful. And the fearfulness is that's, that's not of, just COVID. That's just full stop. That's just good advice. Absolutely. Get off mainstream yeah, media. I, and, and I do that with going through with clients that are going through anything. You know, I say, I always ask them, what's going on in your social media? Who are you following? What are you watching? Because you doing that, that's going to grow this. And with people that do go to that mainstream media, they're going to feed their mind with junk. And when you're feeding it with junk, that's what's going to come out. And you create the own cage. You create that cage. And then you're unable to get past it, right? You ain't able to look beyond the bars that are there. And people then rely on um, Dan Andrews. You know, people are talking about the Stockholm Syndrome and going, yeah. what do you mean? What do you mean we're in Stockholm Syndrome? Well, if you kind of understood where this first came from, you get an understanding of why people are relying on him. They're seeing him as, oh, no, our, our faithful leader is going to lead us all out of this. They're not looking for the facts. Well, look mm. at the facts. Mainstream media aren't going to give it to you. They're not going to give you the facts. You know, I, I always say flip the coin, flip it over and look in all directions. Stop looking with your blinkers on. And that is absolutely what I would say to my clients. You know, take the blinkers on start to broaden your view and get an understanding of what this really is about. Um, mm. Yeah, so that's what I would do. Definitely, you know, Amazing. stop thinking I'm a junk. Monica, that's very similar advice uh, to what you give your followers and members on uh, Reignite Democracy Australia. Unplug from the mainstream. You want to tell us more about how you apply that? Well, I actually don't use that slogan specifically, but I do try to share 
what's going on in the media in, in a different light. And look, we're all biased in our own ways. And if we pretend mm. not to be, then we're lying. So, you know, what I say is though, the difference is, is um, I have to look for my brain's brain, uh, uh, brainwashing material. I have to actually source it myself, which means there's a, there's a factor of research in there. But if your brainwashing material is just coming at you from all from everywhere without you even voluntarily subscribing to it, well, you could come up with opinions that you didn't even know that you had and you didn't realise. So mm. I think, you know, you can take bits of the mainstream media because obviously it is relevant, but mm. then I think take that. And so I never watch the mainstream media, but people tell me the important stuff and it's like the perfect scenario. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That that's brilliant. Hey, Jody, uh, I, I like uh, achieving balance on this show and, and some people in the comments section are telling me that you're left wing because you've got pink hair. <laughs> yeah, oh, my Lord. And I've got tats and I've got all sorts of things. Oh, wow. You're <laughs> <laughs> raging lefty for sure. Do you want to check with the listeners? With... Sorry, Jody. That's okay. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, do you want to check with those listeners? Do they realize that they're learning from women? Is that okay with them? Like, are they are they okay with you know with having women actually helping to educate them and help them understand the world? That might be a problem for them. It may be, and I've I've been you know pulled up for my pink hair before, absolutely, and 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 really been judged for that. And uh, that's thank you. I'm I'm I find that comment hilarious. But, um, I've got a, I've yeah, got no, a very deep. I've got a very deep uh, and sophisticated audience. Somebody else has problems with the Oreo on your hand. <laughs> the Oreo? The, I think it's one of your rings are unusually large. Oh, my <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Hey, uh, so good to be watched and, and I'm glad they're listening. Isn't that what it's all about as well? It's you are more than your head, Jody, because... If you've got, let's say you've got 100 clients, if you're giving them that advice, you could have, like, green poo-coloured hair. I wouldn't care. You know, people need to stop judging people what they look like and listen to what they're saying. That's right. Absolutely. And that's what I like to teach. I like to teach you to be unique and that's what's so important. And, you know, I mean, more so that's why I have pink hair and I'm 50 years old and I'm going to rock it till I'm Are you really? Yes, I am. Yesterday, absolutely, it was my birthday. Yeah. Wow, happy birthday. There is birthday. no way I would think you're 50. No. You are rocking yeah. that. The, the webcam so, is very you know, I, I come with wealth of wisdom, even though I'm wearing pink hair, everyone. You know, who knew, mm. hey? Who knew? But uh, that's with, what I'm a, saying, you know. With, without a word of a lie, I wouldn't have put you at 40. No. Um, Thank you so, so much. I, I, I wouldn't say it if, if it, yeah, I wouldn't say it wasn't true. <laughs> But uh, anyway, look, uh, one of the other things that I believe media is completely responsible for because of its love of causing uh, trauma, tragedy and, and sensationalism is race relations. Uh, I wrote an article today about a video that's going viral where some cops took down a guy um, and I think it was completely justified. But uh, there's a whole bunch of comments beneath it going, look, see, the police are brutal. Um, and it's this narrative that's being spun by 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 certain agendas and and um, political groups. But um, given this huge platform by the media um, to spin this narrative that we have to defund police because they're all brutal and systemic racism, and I reckon if everybody just unplugged from the media, we would solve most. Uh, race relation problems in in the West uh, pretty quickly. There's a lot of people who didn't know they were 
uh, victims un until the media told them so. Hmm. Uh, yeah, so and you know, and you speak to some of these amazing Indigenous people. Like I, I have a, a huge audience of you know people. Thank you very much. I have a huge audience of people that are in the Mara community, and they don't actually believe in the BLM stuff. You know, it's interesting <clears throat> that a lot of white people think that that's what people of colour believe in that. I, I'm married to someone who has dark skin and he's not at all following that narrative at all. Um, so, you know, and, yeah, thanks for writing about that, David. Yeah. If, if the Black Lives Matter protest in Melbourne had actually been a let's hold the police accountable when they do get it wrong protest, I would have been there. I would have yep. joined them because I do think we do yep. have a problem with uh, not so much police brutality but a lack of accountability when they do get it wrong. We see that very clearly in the US. I do think we see it here in Australia as well, although thankfully not as bad. Uh, and I'm not trying to paint all cops as bad or any of that kind of nonsense, but they do get it wrong mm. and they need to be held, in my opinion, more accountable and more properly accountable when they do. So I would have wholeheartedly jumped on board a we need better accountability when police get it wrong kind of a protest. But the moment they colour it with this racial lens, which, which again, it's terribly unpopular to say, but if you actually look at the data, it's not supported by the data at all in terms of the number of deaths in custody, et cetera, relative to the Correct. number of arrests and the amount of cr criminality that is going on in certain uh, sections of the community. Uh, it's not supported by the data. And as soon as you start to try and fix the wrong problem, you're actually just going to make things worse. All the energy that you invest into fixing the wrong problem is energy that could have gone on to other things and fixing real problems, and it just makes things worse. Well, speaking of holding police accountable, let's have a look at this great effort by uh, feminists to hold police accountable. They saw this photo. Let's see if I can make that bigger. Yep, well done. They saw this photo. I don't know if you can see that well enough, but on the left you have a picture of um, some ladies' legs in short skirts at what looks to be a, uh, a, a club um, bar, and it says 9 p.m. leggy. And then on the right-hand side you see one of those ladies in the blue short skirt passed out on a floor uh, and it says 2 a.m. legless, and in square brackets, know your limits. Uh, Corin, tell us about the outrage that this uh, seemingly innocuous anti-alcohol uh, <laughs> sign on a police van uh, caused amongst the uh, rabid feminists. Well, you know, of course it caused outrage because it's an ad that's basically pushing personal responsibility and they are completely and utterly allergic to personal responsibility. There's absolutely nothing wrong with this ad. You know, literally it's been a social media burst into flames about this. That first ad shows and it uses the expression leggy. She's got legs. That's just an expression that you use in magazines. And then legless, that's when you're super, super drunk and know your limits. If we're saying, like, this is an ad campaign for two, from um, 2007, so it's an old campaign, but I would say that anyone who's complaining about this is actually regressive rather than progressive. It's not progressive to encourage women not to take responsibility or know their limits or look after themselves in the same way that you say to kids as they're heading out the door, take care. Um, women, just like men, need to understand their personal limits. I just found this whole debate just so um, juvenile. It's it's not the real world, you know. Then in in the real world, 
an adult human being of either gender needs to take responsibility for their choices. And unfortunately, and take this from someone who's done it, <laughs> drinking too much can lead to making decisions that you regret. You then have to live with that. You have to live with those choices. Not the people who have fed you this ideology that say that after you've drunk a certain amount, that becomes somebody else's responsibility. It's just nonsensical mm. to me. It's not empowerment. It's not progression. It's it's really and I actually think it's really dangerous. You know, if we if we've reached a point where feminist ideology um, has reached a point where we cannot educate around alcohol uh, sufficiently, then I think that's we're on really dangerous ground. Mm. Anybody else's thoughts on that? The overreaction is not at all surprising. Uh, anyone that tries to fight for some idea of some concept of collective rights, the idea of individual responsibilities for them is, is an anathema because if we all actually had individual rights and responsibilities, there wouldn't be a need for the collective. And so you see whether it's whether it is race relations, whether you see it's it's sort of the gender relations side of things, any groups, any of these groups that are pushing for you know gay rights, women's rights, young people's rights, whatever they may be, they cannot allow people to actually adopt a posture of personal responsibility uh, and personal rights because it renders their other kind of rights completely obsolete. If we all actually properly had genuine individual rights and we all took genuine individual responsibility, there would be no room left in the world for these race baiters, for the, the gender wars, all this sort of stuff, which makes people a lot of money, gives people a lot of power and gives them a sense of purpose in life and they're not willing to let go of that. Great point. Can I, can I flip this just a little bit and just talk about... The, mm. the men the men in this scenario now i do think this ad is actually trying to protect women and i think it's it's a really harsh way of doing that but when we make mistakes it feels horrible just like corinne said so they're trying to protect them but you know on the other side of this there's, there's an american country song and i don't know the name of it but what it says is it's like take a drunk girl home put her keys on the table put her to bed and leave and leave your number on the counter and it, it, that i think you know with this that should be coupled with with that type of thing too. And also women mm. should always go out with someone they trust. And I think that's important. But if men could also, because women are going to get legless sometimes, regardless of the advertising around it, it's going to happen because of what's going on in culture. So I think if men could also be be taught how to be respectful to that as well, it'd be nice. But I like this ad. I think it's harsh, but it's just real. It's, it's one of those situations where it's true to say that a woman should be able to get completely drunk, completely legless and have nothing bad happen to them because there shouldn't be anyone out there ready and willing to prey on those individuals, even in those circumstances. But unfortunately, we know that that's not true. And Monica, to your point, unfortunately, it is no longer safe for someone like me. I used to do a lot of salsa dancing. You wouldn't know it now, but I, I used to be quite fit to a lot of salsa dancing. And you'd see some people take things too far and you would, you would help them out in various ways. And we worked, we knew each other. And we worked together as a group and we looked after people. But it's no longer safe to do that. If you took a drunk girl home and did all of the right things, uh, you are simply her deciding to, to press charges that you're one decision away from going to prison. Because the, all of the presumption is in, in the favour of the, the the presumed victim in that case. She might have no memory of what happened, but assume that certain things happened. Uh, you, you could literally throw your life away these days trying to help somebody in a vulnerable situation and, and trying to do the right thing. So unfortunately, these days, it's a case of you've got to try and find one of her girlfriends who's hopefully in the same club or something like that. You, It, it would be literally you would be taking your f entire future into your own hands if you as a male tried to help a woman under those circumstances in that way. Interesting. 
And why is I it agree. up to a male, though? Why is it up to a male to rescue a woman? I just find that whole, you know, like a, a real empowerment is actually women being fully-fledged adults who can take care of themselves. And mm. there are bad people in the world of both genders who, you know, you wouldn't, it's the same as, so I just think this whole notion that everybody has a right, anybody has a right to get drunk is absolutely bizarre. It's like saying that we all have a right to leave our homes unlocked or leave our cars unlocked or the keys in the ignition. It's crime. We're talking about crime. And, uh, you know, it's not up to men to rescue women. Women can be responsible for themselves. I, uh, I think it's probably a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B that it's it's absolutely incumbent upon a woman to be a big girl and responsible for herself and and just responsible drinking so she doesn't get into positions with increased vulnerability. But I also think it's uh, a lost cultural value uh, that I've tried to teach in my boys is to be chivalrous and to and to see yourself as the defender of not just women but everybody who's who's perhaps less powerful than you and less fortunate and and uh, and to be to be the person who is the defender of others uh, and and to just be strong and that doesn't necessarily mean a physique attribute but a and and of course women can be strong as well i'm i'm not being exclusive about it but it is a particularly uh, male attribute to be a defender and to and to be a protector. That's why armies are ninety nine percent male of, in in combat and and obviously borne up by combat deaths. Um, so of course women should be responsible and of course every you know women should look after each other. But what a great cultural value if we all just looked out for each other and if we all just took responsibility for ourselves instead of thinking abuse of alcohol was somehow uh, empowering and mm. at the same time we're absolved of all responsibility for the consequences of mm. of being in that situation. Jody, have you got any any thoughts on on this just before we uh, move on quickly? Um, I actually commented um, this afternoon on that, and um, you know, and I spoke about whenever we've gone out as girlfriends, we've always sort of looked out for each other, and and it's re my responsibility. You know, I know my limits. I know where you know I I need to stop or when I need to take some water, and I think that those sensible things that you teach your children anyway. I have a daughter and that's what I would have taken. In fact, none of my children drink actually, I think. But the oh. fact is, you know, we, yeah, we've taught them um, that, you know, res responsible drinking, you know, means drinking with water, mm. looking out for your friends, whether they be male or female. And going back to what you said, you know, that is such a natural thing for men though, to have the three Ps in life. You know, they, they, they're born to be protectors, producers and providers. And, you know, so that's what they'll do. And um, that's it's inbred in them. And so when you said um, that you would go home and you're absolutely you're putting yourself in a position where you could get accused, right, um, if you were to take someone drunk home, even though you're doing the right thing by protecting. And that's what makes me angry, that we're getting to a place that we see men as the bad people and they're not the bad people there are some yep. amazing yep. fabulous men out there that do great Rudy, can, I ask, 
can I ask you a question about about this just real quickly? Sorry, Dave, I know you're supposed to be asking the questions, but Jody, no, um, please do. Why, why do you think it's become, I know this is a loaded question, but why do you think it's become a culture for women to, say, put themselves in that position where they, they know their limits probably, but they still put themselves in that position? Do you, is there anything you could say about, you know, why they even need to have advertisements like this? Oh, gosh. Well, I could ask them to start unpacking why are you, you know, you don't understand the, where that last limit is, you know. Why do you not stop at that drink? Why do you go back up to the bar, you know, and start asking for another wine or another shampoos or what have you? Um, it, it's they just think one more won't hurt, right? And it could be that one more that just tips them over into that place of what you call leckless. Um, and mm. it's having those friends that are around to sort of know that, that's what I think, you know. But but if you're going to get me to unpack about addiction, that's a whole different, you know. I think we should change the know, campaign. Um, we should change the campaign to always go out with friends that you trust. I think that would be a good campaign. And I, the feminists, I think have that that's important. And yeah. yeah, and look, it goes back to these venues also. And, and I know that whenever I've been out, like they're able to spot ones that might have had a little bit too much to drink and suggest, hey, here's a bottle of water instead, mm -hmm. you know, um, because they can see, oh, hang on a minute, she's just champing down those champagnes or she's had six shots. You know, I think a, a bottle of water would be great for her right now. And I think that oh. that's really great. But, you know, when we all go back, get out of this lockdown, that would be a great thing to continue. <laughs> You can find tonight's panellists at these websites. Uh, Monica Smith is available at reignitedemocracyaustralia.com.au. Uh, Topher Field is available at topherfield.net. That's T-O-P-H-E-R, field, like a paddock, dot net. Uh, do you have many people break that down for you, Topher? That way, uh, I actually used to. I actually used to use that uh, example myself. Uh, but I will. I will just correct uh, that. Is my blog? It's still active, but I've not actually posted there for a very long time. The better place is facebook.com uh, forward slash Topher Field. Excellent. Facebook.com Topher Field T O P H E R Field. That's a bit of a story. I've never met anybody called Topher before. Is uh, yeah, is there well, is there a ten second version to that story? My dad's name is Christopher. My name is Christopher. So we gave him the first half, and I got the second half. <laughs> oh. That is a good story. That is a good story. And you can find Jody Mayantu at jodymayantucounselor.com, and that's spelt the British way with a double L in counselor. Uh, have I pronounced Mayantu right, Jody? It's actually Mintu, the wise silent. So, yeah. Mintu. It's Excellent. Burmese. My husband's Burmese. Oh, lovely. Well, thank you. Jody Mintu, and that's spelt like my in two. That's M Y I N T double O. This is for the podcast who don't get the benefit of the text on screen. Jody, my into counselor.com with a double L. And of course, you'll find Corin Barraclough at goodsource.news under the uh, contributor section, um, and uh, the shortcut is uh, forward slash CB, goodsource.news slash CB for Corin Barraclough. And, of course, thank you to all the Good Source supporters for tonight. Now, last topic to bring us home, and, and maybe we'll get on to some other topics in overtime, but there's only seven minutes left in the hour. 
And that is the very exciting initiative of Reignite Democracy Australia. And very exciting because you say it's very exciting. Um, there's over 20,000 members in less than two months. Monica, well done. Such an mm. exciting initiative. Tell us all about what it is, what it does for people, and uh, why so many people have uh, found a, a resonance with uh, Reignite Democracy. Well, unfortunately, my platform has grown during a very difficult time because, you know, when people are struggling, they reach out for something to make them feel heard or something like that. So basically, I, I slogan it. Obviously, it's created itself. I don't didn't really know what it was going to do when I started it, but now I think it's the medium between the everyday hardworking Australian and our elected leaders. So basically, I try and connect with the, as many members of parliament on a personal level and I create tools for people to be able to connect to their members because there's strength in numbers, obviously. So one person sending an email is great and it's totally worth it. But if you have 10,000 people sending emails at the same time, it really makes an impact. And I don't, I don't know really how it's... <laughs> I say I don't know how it's happened this way, but I've obviously worked hard. But it's been, it's it's got it's growing a lot faster than I thought. And you know, we've had our name mentioned in Parliament. We've had questions uh, asked in Parliament. So we, we are making an impact. And I think the reason why it's doing so well, really, obviously, because of the volunteers and all that sort of stuff, all the members they help. But um, really, it's because people in Victoria are just the the emotions are just taking over them and it's either go into a depression or use that emotion to be proactive and i'm providing tools for them to feel like they are part of the solution and i think that's the motivation that's the only thing i can think of and uh people you know there's this innate jody would agree with this i mean you all would but there's a feeling you get when you do something that you think might make a difference even if it doesn't and Absolutely. if the only reason if the only reason my platform exists is to give people hope, that's fine with me. I don't even care if it makes a difference, but I hope it does both. That would be great. But that's why it's grown so much. And you're giving people purpose. And that's, you know, that's where, you know, a lot of this has been taken away. Uh, people have lost their jobs. People are feeling like, where do, where do I go from here? And for you to have this group, it gives them a sense of, here's a purpose. Here's some sort of light at this very dark tunnel. Tell us about the uh, omnibus bill um, that uh, is uh, obviously of, of significant concern uh, on your website. Well, you know what? I'd actually like to handball this over to Topher, if you don't mind. He's actually more eloquent than me with his words. I'd love him to explain the omnibus bill, if you don't mind, Topher. Um, have you ever heard of the Enabling Act? Hitler passed it before he became sort of the Hitler that we know and remember. You know, um, I, I don't think I have heard of it. Okay, so sort of, you know, the Enabling Act, the, the Kristallnacht, the Night of the Long Knives, there's sort of the certain steps uh, that yes. were taken along the way. People get very grumpy when you compare Daniel Andrews to a dictator. Uh, and they get grumpy usually on the basis that they have this misconception that dictators have always murdered lots of people. And no, that's actually an abuse of the English language. The word dictator has a meaning. It means someone who dictates and someone specifically who rules by dictatorship, and, and Daniel Andrews has made himself a dictator through the emergency powers, the disaster declaration, the, uh, the the mothballing of parliament, the fact that he now gets to make these proclamations. He has turned himself into a dictator. That is the correct use of the English language. He's not yet a mass murdering dictator, 
but the kinds of things that we're seeing him put forward in Parliament are actually echoes from history and and very very concerning. So this, in particular, this power that he wants to be able to handpick his own team of special sort of foot soldiers. Um, let's mm. let's just give them a, a completely neutral name that no one's ever used before. Maybe maybe brown shirts. Maybe they'll be known by their uniform that might be brown. Let's just hypothetically say. Of course, no reflection on history there. Uh, and those people will be able to go door to door and whether real or imagined, they will be able to determine that someone is high risk. There aren't really criteria around how they determine that, what the rules are, what the restrictions are. There's no real limit on that. Once once one of these people in brown shirts decides that you're a high risk and drags you away, there is no review process. There is no appeals process in place for any of that. Uh, and once they make that determination, they can then hold you in custody completely indefinitely without having to bring ev any evidence that you actually would have disobeyed any rules or in fact have obeyed any rules. Now, if that happens to remind you of history in some way, shape or form and dictators in the past who have dragged away their political opponents, uh, well, I'm sure that's purely coincidental and you're just being paranoid. <clears throat> the, the reality is that something like this has the ability to be used completely politically. If he wanted cover to be able to make all of the people standing up to him politically disappear for a while, this act actually gives him the power to do that. Someone like myself, I've been very vocal, I've spoken at rallies, I've attended uh, illegal protests in recent weeks. I had never before, until all of this, I had never before walked out my door with the intention of breaking the law. It had never happened until all these lockdowns started. On, on, on April 25th... I, I would assert it's not actually a, a law. Uh, these directives uh, are invalid, and, and I wouldn't even use the language conceding any kind of I, valid legal status. I agree, but they're going to be... In, they're, they're given the force of law because people with guns will, will make you obey them. So I, I would say there's a, there's a... We could parse words, but you, you get what I mean. Uh, I actually think it's important for your defence to, to not... Ad, ad, make any kind of uh, admission that that concedes they have any valid status. Um, and I, I hope it does come to court, maybe not for you, but for somebody, um, because just well, like... I've got some good news for you. Uh, they fined me for speaking at a Anzac Day uh, protest. I then wrote a letter and disputed it on certain grounds, and I just got word yesterday that they have decided not to accept my objection, uh, and oh. they're going to, they uh, have told me again that I owe them money. Uh, and of course, reminding me that I have the option to to take them to court. So uh, I am talking to some people and looking at my options because the reality is the magistrate's court is almost certainly not going to rule in my favour because my arguments are going to be based on the Victorian Charter of Human Rights and Responsibilities. And they're just going to say, well, that's beyond my pay grade. They're going to rule in favour of the government. Then I'm going to have to appeal that up, hopefully straight to the Supreme Court of Victoria where that might play. And if I lose again there, then I can take it to the High Court where I can bring in arguments around the implied right to political communication that's found in the Constitution. But now we're talking serious six-figure money. So if I'm going to get myself tied up in this, I don't need that amount of money up front, but I need to know that if I needed it, I could get it uh, if the fight turned into that. Uh, so I'm looking at my options at the moment. Uh, you know, I've got two businesses that I'm running. I've got two young children. I've got a wife who's also got her own business to keep running, and we're dealing with the lockdowns as well. So there's a lot going on, uh, and I don't want to overload myself or my family, but I am looking at it going from a strategic point of view the Victorian police have handed me exactly the standing that I need in court to be able to take this through and potentially deal a fairly serious blow against all of this overreach that we've seen. 
Um, but I still have to work through it and figure out what it would, what it would mean, what it would be worth it and what would actually be involved. But uh, next week's next week's episode of Pello Talk Live is going to be all about the politicization of the Victorian police force. Uh, We're going to have a Victorian upper house member uh, coming. Avi Yemeni is going to be on and we're going to be specifically talking about his case in the Supreme Court against mm-hmm. uh, Victorian police uh, or, or rather the state government on mm-hmm. behalf of, of Victorian police. Um, I've taken on Victoria Police. Two years ago, I got a bill for f- something like $67,000 um, oh, yes. because Antifa decided to protest one of my events unlawfully and, uh, you know, police were fantastic, but the political ranks um, decided that they would try and shut down a conservative speaking event with a disincentive uh, threat of invoice. Um, mm. And I said, come and get me. Um, and I had heat, and it certainly wasn't me. There was so many people, and Topher, I have no doubt, the same people would rally uh, to stand beside you, um, lawyers and academics and journalists mm. and and heaps of people offering to donate and fight that. Because the the sad thing is, in this democracy, um, the only way to fight these bullies, these political bullies and dictators, as you rightly call them, is through the is through the incredibly slow legal system. Um, and, and I don't think we're anywhere near um, open violence on the street. Nowhere near that at all. Um, but the place to fight it is in the legal system to challenge mm-hmm. them. And you do see people like Daniel Andrews backing down on the curfew when it yeah. comes close to his bluff being called. That was uh, not a coincidence. Of course not. Yeah. And, the timing of that. And I'm pleased to say, and, and I'll have a, a, um, a fairly long editorial on it next week, but the police totally backed down on their $67,842.50 invoice to me <laughs> for the use of, of riot police. I mean, it was a spectacle. Um, it was a war zone. It was, it was exciting and both um, really upsetting at the same time that my country australia that i love so much could be little better than uc berkeley or baghdad but i repeat myself Mm. um (laughs) and and it was just uh it was just horrific but um again a very good conservative mp asked questions on notice of of the attorney general in in victoria and the answer came back that the police's legal advice was they had absolutely no grounds for hoping to recover one cent of their invoice against me, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. we have to call their bluff, and we and and we have to be prepared to pay the price. So, Topher, I don't I, know what I can do to help you, but if you have to stand before the High Court, Supreme Court, and Magistrates Court, um, whatever resources I and my supporters have would would jump there because that's a worthy cause to fight. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. I do agree that we are thankfully uh, a long way from the need for for violence, but uh, it is also true that lawfare is the last step before warfare. It, it is the literally the last resort that we have mm. before we run out of peaceful options. Now, I'm not saying that we've almost run out of that option. There's a, there's a lot that we can explore with that option. Right. Uh, but the the government and the powers that be would would be very wise not to shut down this avenue. And I, I do think that there are a lot of Supreme Court justices and High Court justices uh, that would love to have a court case like the ones that we're talking about, like yours with that bill, like RV Yemeni, like myself, although mine is, is such a minor infringement, I was never even arrested. It's literally just a fine. 
Um, but they would love to have these brought before them because they want to bring some justice into these issues, but they can't just sit there and decree justice. They have to have a case brought in front of them. And I think mm. there are some very good justices and some very good judges in our system who would love to have these sorts of cases brought in front of them. But as you say, it's a slow process. Uh, it can be a very draining process, a very emotionally tumultuous process. And I'm sure, David, you know that very well from your own experiences. And you, you talk to anyone who's had to fight something through to the Supreme Court, through to the High Court. It's incredibly taxing on them and on their families. Uh, and it's incredibly expensive. But it is through that process that we have, for example, the, the existence of the implied right to political communication found in our constitution and the various decisions that have that have increased that right for us over the years. They have come because people have been willing to fight their way through that system, take those risks, pay that price, and ultimately win those, those battles. So I, lawfare is the last step before warfare, and I think we need to fight the lawfare step uh, as, as hard as we possibly can. Yeah, I, I agree, if only to prevent the necessity of, of that uh, terrible last step. And, and that is yeah. a terrible thing. And, and, you know, history does repeat itself and, and go in cycles so often. Um, but I remain optimistic and perhaps naively so that uh, if we take these warnings from history, perhaps we can inevitably delay that uh, next step in the cycle and, and or maybe even skip it and just make society better again and, and civil and, and sincere and, and make freedom uh, one of those things, Monica. Let's let's uh, segue back to uh, back to you. You've actually said in your webpage that democracy is not a human right. That's an interesting statement. Uh, you've called it a a privilege. Would you like to explain that a little bit? Actually, it's interesting. I, I got this information from someone in Ecuador, who obviously that country is very corrupt, and she has lived with that. Uh, a politician father and being influenced very much by him and they've experienced in that country that you know democracy had to be fought for and it also needs to be maintained and that's what people forget because when democracy is working everyone's having a great time and they forget how hard they had to work for it so i think what this situation is is going to do for people i think the good side of what's happening in victoria right now is people might remember what it was like to feel like your freedoms are being taken away and they might work a little bit harder to maintain them. And can, while I've got the attention, can I just give a really quick scenario? I, I don't know if the omnibus bill was really explained in a really simple way, but I, I did see a comment saying that you have to be proven to have COVID to be a risk to be detained. But that's not true. That's not true. No. So no, you no. could actually be in contact with someone who's been in contact with someone who's potentially had COVID and, by the way, that doesn't even need to be the case. You just need to be classified as a risk to, to the health system by the chief health officer. And so how it works is the chief health officer is here and he basically appoints mini chief health officers all over the state who is appointed by him with no training, what's maybe a two-week course or maybe not even, and they decide who is at risk. And then they can appoint anyone to actually detain you. It could be your neighbour who's been having a war with you over the tree that's hanging over your fence. And he's like, oh, you know what? Oh, that person's got one extra person over at their house today. I, I think they're a health risk. And that's it. You can be detained indefinitely. There is no period of time and there is no recourse. So this is, this is, this is just not wow. a joke. And if this was happening in Hong Kong, uh, or in any other Asian country, we would we would be talking about this. The human rights activists, the Greens, the the, the feminists, that they'd be rallying the streets. The Black Lives Matter. They'll be like, I can't believe they're going to do this to Hong Kongers. But this is happening in Victoria, mm. and no one's saying 
that may not no one saying anything that's wrong but they're <laughs> hardly saying anything and it's yep. scary and I, I like to be all hopeful and stuff I'm all all about hope and action and so but we need to understand that fear is a good motivator and right now fear is important because the campaigns that we've got going on they need to be acted on or else it's not gonna it's not gonna be good sorry I'm done hmm. no you're, you're absolutely right and um and actually, I've actually lost the segue thought that I had right then. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. It's a really, really crazy bill. It's incredibly extreme to the extent of the not deprivation, but complete eradication of, mm. of basic human rights in law, such as actually being charged with a crime, with actually having a, a right to bail, with actually mm. having a, a right to to i mean phone calls and and with without actually it's it's the ultimate pre-crime um kind of of yeah, when they just deem you a political risk because you want to protest or what it's it's such a charged weapon um mm -hmm. pointed at the political enemies of, of daniel andrews and that you can actually Sorry, you can look at the future of Victoria uh, in a, a very entertaining movie, actually, that was intended as fiction, but has very much become uh, a, a prediction. Uh, the movie's name is Equilibrium. It has Christian Bale, Sean Bean, and, and a bunch of others. Um, and worth getting. You can probably stream it. It was kind of B-grade budget. The special effects are a bit crap. The plot is a bit wacky. The director was trying to be very avant-garde and have fun with it. But it's essentially about this world where having emotion has been deemed to be a crime because human emotions are what cause violence and war and everything else. So everyone has to take these drugs to suppress human emotion. Uh, and there's this entire police department set up to run around trying to find people who are feeling, people who are off their medication and, really? and arresting them and ultimately executing wow. people for the crime of feeling. Uh, th this is literally the movie that I've watched more times than any other movie in my life. I'm not going to say it's the best movie you'll ever see. It definitely has some serious flaws, but it is worth watching. And definitely, well, yes, well done, whoever pulled that up so fast. Uh, equilibrium and um, it really well worth watching. And honestly, this has become a, a prophecy, a documentary about the future of Victoria under Daniel Andrews. Uh, that is indeed very, very scary. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's, there's far too many fictional books and movies um, being being made into reality under this dictatorship. Um, Eli Wintercross says uh, it's a great film and he loves it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, in, in, a very, in a very realistic way, Tofa, you've been to these um, "quote unquote" illegal protests. So, in theory, if this bill goes through, just so everyone knows, um, Tofa would already be preconceived as a risk, and correct. they they can arrest him based on the idea that because of what he's done in the past, they think that he's thinking about committing a crime. So yeah. um, that's it. That's it. He's got children. Um, he can be uh, taken away from his children for an undefined amount of time. Where his children go, I don't know yet. But, yeah, it's it's very real. And And for people who like to say, oh, but they wouldn't use it like that, absolute nonsense. Daniel Andrews has used every power given to him to its maximum extent lawful, and I would say he's gone well beyond what is lawful for the powers that have mm. been given to him. Uh, and if they wouldn't use it like that, then how about they go back and write the law in a way that doesn't give them powers that they wouldn't use? Right. It's this argument. Oh, but they wouldn't use it like that. Fine. Go back and write it so that it doesn't give them that power because they won't exactly. miss it. Right? If they're not going to use it, they're not going to miss it. Write a better law. If they're yeah. going to write a law that gives them that power, then we have to operate on the assumption that they will use it. Yeah, exactly right. Write it right the first time.
Can I just ask a question? So I, I, I've read the bill and, and I definitely understand it the way you guys understand it too, but I, I, I think that a lot of people out there in the public, like for a scenario like this, say you send your child to school, your child has a runny nose. Is this bill a situation where I could have my child removed from my care or I could be considered a, a risk because I sent my child off to school with this runny nose and, you know, is this where sort of are we headed down this road? It, it, and then it would if be... we are, what can people do, Monica, to, what, what are you suggesting mm. that because we want to get on board and, and, and help for this bill not to go through? So what because we always want a solution. Well, you know, I don't know if my solutions are going to work because I, we've never come across something like this. But I have basically a three-prong campaign at the moment. So there's the basic kind of email campaign. So on my website, you can email all the MPs with one click, basically. Um, but secondly, there is a letterbox campaign where it's a letter that is written from a concerned neighbour and it puts a very simple scenario in there and it's in a handwritten font to try and make it look a little bit more handwritten. And uh, I, I've got 1,200, I call them foot soldiers, signed up to actually walk their neighbourhoods and put this letter in people's letterboxes. And I'm hoping that it will capture some of the attention of the fence sitters or people who didn't even know about it at all. Um, and then the third... The third campaign is um is a media blitz now they don't know about this yet but it's going to smash them so hard uh, we're going to we're going to email every single outlet in australia mass emails we're going to call talk back radio we are going to we we need them to talk about this and they're not talking about it enough so um that's basically my attempt secondly you know i know and that no sorry that that's it that's that's what i'm trying to do Mm. Is uh, is it got to do with the? Is there any sort of support with regards to the oncoming council selections or things that are coming up as well? Like council, because we're about we're about to head into um, having yeah. to vote for our council, and I have I'm, no I'm, idea who they are because I haven't even received anything in my email, like mail, to even know who am I supposed to be voting for? Oh, and don't worry. How do I know? Yeah, I, I've got you covered, Jody. I'm so glad you asked. Thank you. But so at the same time as delivering pamphlets for the for the concerned neighbour, uh, I also have a very generic kind of uh, council your vote matters kind of campaign. And there's a QR code on there, and it's going to direct them to my website. And I'm going to have preferred candidates based on my aligned goals of democracy and things like that. So I'm going to have like let's say there's ten in every ward. I'll have my top three potentially, and I'll have my bottom three. And the stuff in between there you can do. So let my, my 1,200 foot soldiers are actually going to be delivering both pamphlets at the same time. And um, the the really interesting thing that I found out today is, uh, you know, councils aren't supposed to be politically affiliated, but they are, and that's just the fact of it, okay? So you've got the socialist Victorians running for council. You've got Ros Ward who started Safe School running for council. And then you've got... Labor members who are like just paid members of the Labor Party running for council. Now, I just found out today that if you are a member of Labor and you're a council member, automatically all of your tax, all the, all the rates that get paid into your council, all your money is dictated by the Labor Party. Every decision that you make has to go through the Labor Party. So you're actually not really, yeah, you're not a council, yeah, you shouldn't be like that. It shouldn't be like that. So I'm right. I actually am not party affiliated, but right now it seems to be that I'm 
kind of against Labor just because of what's going on in Victoria. Later on down the track, other things might come up. But right now, we're just trying to inform people who's Labor affiliated so that they can make the decision. And they can do what they want. I'm just presenting the information. And people, if people trust me, then they might vote with me. If not, that's fine too. But Jody, I will let you know. Just follow my Thank website. Thank you. And because it obviously seeds all the way up, right, into the parliament. And that, I think that's what people need to know. What what goes on under here automatically comes up and sources that into the parliament feed. It's a stepping stone. Sort of, stepping stone into yeah. parliament. Yeah. Definitely. Not all yeah. the time. Some people just like it. They just get a status from it and they enjoy that. But a lot of people start there to work their way up and, yeah, mm. they Thank you so much for letting me say that, Jody. Appreciate it. It's actually the opposite in, in Queensland. Only Brisbane City Council is party aligned and every other council in the state is uh, full of independence. There's there's no um, party affiliations or, or control. Um, so is, yeah. is that truly the case or is that just officially on paper that's what they say? Because I can tell you I know that my local council here um, has people who are Liberal Party aligned, people who are Labor Party aligned, and people who are Greens aligned, but every single one of them is an independent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My my own local councillor I know is a Labor Party member, but mm. uh, he runs as an independent in in the the city council elections out, outside of Brisbane yeah. um, as a, as an independent. And so that's that's obviously the case. A lot of people will resign their party membership when they uh, run for, for local council. So I guess there's a degree of separation. It's certainly not as blatant control as as, as what um, Monica is detailing goes on in Victoria across the state. Is that right, Monica? Look, I, I probably mainly know about the metro um, areas. I think there's 39 wards in metro Melbourne. I don't know much about the rest. Mm. It's good just to know know this information. Right, well, let's start wrapping it up. Um, we've got a question uh, from a little while ago from Nathan Troy. Nathan, hope you're uh, still tuning in because your question's about to come to the top. Is TOFA going into politics? What party uh, correlates best with your ideology slash beliefs? Really enjoyed uh, your videos on the Murray-Darling issues. Uh, thank you, Nathan. Uh, I appreciate that. And obviously, you've been following me for a little while. Uh, if you're if you're aware of my sort of water background, there's lots of people who jumped on board recently they, because of the the lockdowns. They are really um, good videos, Topher. Uh, um, thank you. Very um, well produced. I I hope to do something meaningful with my life, which really precludes politics. Um, <laughs> if you if you understand what politics actually is, uh, the best that government can do, and I and I mean this literally, the best that government can do, with very few exceptions is reduce the amount of harm that it does to its own people. It cannot create value with very, very few exceptions and, and possibly no exceptions, but I'm, I'm open to the idea there might be a few exceptions there. If you go into business, uh, which is what my passion is, and you create a product and you offer it at a price and people look at it and go, hey, I would rather have your product than have my money, right? I'm, they trade with you. They give you their money. They take your product. You get the money. You've lost a product, but you're both happy, right? Value has been created in that exchange. Two people have walked away going, hey, I'm better off now than I was before. When was the last time you had an exchange with the government and walked away feeling like you were better off? right? It doesn't happen. Mm. Even the, the money that is spent by government and the welfare that's handed out, or, oh, but we build the roads. Who would build the roads? All of that's done with money that was taken off people for nothing. 
in the first place. There was no value exchange. The money was taken off and then is by and large wasted. Some of it goes to useful things, but an enormous amount does not. So the best you can hope to achieve going into politics is reducing the amount of harm that the government does. Now, that's an, a noble enough pursuit, and I'm very grateful to the people that, that have made that pursuit. But my passion is in business. My passion is creating value. Uh, I'm, I'm, I've just kickstarted a new podcast called Living Value, where I'm wanting to talk to people that are creating value in business, in, in community, in relationships, and in ideas. I'm wanting to move away from kind of the politics stuff a little bit. Not that I'm going to abandon it, but I want to add to that. Uh, because I think value and the creation of value is one of the least understood but most important concepts that, that we need to rediscover, I guess. So, no, I have no intention of going into politics. I just don't, excuse me, I, I don't want to live that way. And I would wake up every day with a, with a sense that, or I would finish every day with a sense that I haven't actually done the world any good. At best, mm -hmm. I've reduced the amount of bad. Haven't done any good, but at best reduce the amount of bad. I see where you're going with that. That's a very, very libertarian, um, a very purist libertarian. I, I find I have a lot of sympathies with, uh, I guess, Christian libertarianism, um, mm. but uh, not to the extent of the purists. Um, but you sound like quite the purist. Um, uh, I, am actually, I am actually a Christian as well, um, but I separate my own personal views very strongly from political views. So there are things that I would stand by. There are things, that, just to throw one example out there, I, I support complete drug deregulation. I think there's an enormous number of drugs that we currently have criminalized that in micro dosing and in, in the right clinical setting are actually very, very useful to help people. And even the ones that aren't, it's not our job. It's not our business. They're talking about personal responsibility from before. Okay. Now, I've personally never taken an illegal drug. I don't plan to. I'm not interested. I don't I don't want to know what that feels like. It doesn't interest me. So my personal choices are extremely conservative. My politics are extremely liberal uh, in the, the American sense of, of the word, extremely progressive uh, in the sense that I don't think that someone choosing to take a particular substance should automatically mean that they get, you know, go directly to jail, do not pass go, do not collect $200. So my politics is extremely libertarian, but I am personally actually very conservative. Okay. Well, Sally Vincent uh, says, please continue your expose videos for the use of political parties. Very good. Uh, so in other words, what she's saying um, is, and Sally's a great um, political party conservative warrior, um, that it's actually a resource that's being used uh, by some of the minor parties um, to inform some of their policy. So very quality uh, research um, in there. Great job. So any more of those videos coming? How do you make them? Do you have a film crew that like remarkable quality? Uh, you, this is still directed to me, is it? Or Yeah, yeah. I Actually, I, I, think I wasn't sure if there were other video makers in the group. I, you know, I didn't want to presume. Um, I, I travel with a very small crew. Uh, usually in my early videos, I literally did all my own videography as well. But these days I, I travel with uh, at least one person, if not two people, uh, to just Great. get out there and, and get it done. Brilliant. Part of what I do is try and get on location which involves an enormous mm. amount of travel and it's very, very yeah. exhausting. So I can't do everything. I can't drive and haul the equipment and do the presenting and remember the lines and everything else. Um, but no, look, I'm very, very lucky. My dad was in television. I've tried framing kid. myself on location and it's impossible. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not, not an easy thing. Um, yeah, I, I learned the craft from my dad when I was a kid and so it was a fairly right. natural thing for me to move into. Uh, and now effectively, the, look, the longest and hardest part of any video is actually the research and the writing. Once it's actually written and planned, uh, the actual making of the video is comparatively easy and comparatively fast. The making of the video will happen in a week. 
the research and the writing of a video could take three or four weeks. Interesting. Very good. Uh, now, Corin, your um, your next show coming out, um, I believe, Monday morning is going to be about some legislation coming up in New South Wales. We won't go into too much detail, but give us a, a sneak peek on exactly what that is, what how you're going to be dealing with it, um, this, this coercion legislation um, coming from Labor in New South Wales. Yeah, I mentioned it in my show out this Monday, and I've been so inundated with messages from people who are, are very scared about um, what this could mean, basically. So, as you say, it's a bill coming from Labour, which none of us should be surprised about, boo. Mm. But it's really, really dangerous. It's um, it's the, So it's, it's the New South Wales Coercive Control Bill. And this would basically, this is things like isolating someone from their friends and family, um, isolating their finances, removing them from their friendship circle. It's it's all about coercive behaviour and controlling behaviour. Th those are, I would argue, I would say this is very, very dangerous ground because it's very subjective. How do you prove it? And, mm. you know, that was my initial response when I was reading um, the, the bill coming from Labour. And the responses that I've had already have really just underlined actually how scared people are about it, men and women. Um, there are. I've had a, an, an interesting letter from a woman, which I'll talk about more in my show next Monday. But she is having all sorts of problems with um, her partner's ex, and um, controlling and coercive behaviour. They're terms that are thrown around in family law and in the family law court system very, very frequently. They're very, very difficult to to begin to to try to prove. So yeah, again, people could be criminalised and thrown in jail for um, on a whim essentially that's uh look um i really appreciate your show and the research you do and the writing you do and and uh, the voice you give to so many people who uh, are airing what the mainstream media refuses to uh and that is the the corruption and perversion and complete compromise of the family law system uh in australia many well-intended people in it i i have friends who are uh, family law specialists uh, in practice, and they really act with a lot of integrity and compassion um, and, and for the best interests of, of their customers and not their own pockets. Um, but there's just so much bad stories in, in that industry that uh, mm -hmm. I think your show's certainly very important. Uh, and the place people can watch past episodes, there's so many of them are just evergreen and, and not only related to, you know, hot headlines is uh, goodsource.news slash CB. Um, you'll be able to see a whole bunch of episodes there just going from strength to strength. Congratulations on a really great show. Um, look, uh, just wrapping up tonight, we're going to go around the panel and uh, give everybody a chance to um, say g'day and, and final thoughts before we uh, sign off. But just a uh, appeal, if you're watching this and maybe this is your first time, uh, please subscribe to our email updates. They're not thick and fast, um, and uh, I wish they were, uh, but right at the moment it's certainly not going to be crowding your inbox. Um, however, if you would like updates uh, when we can get them out, head to goodsource.news. You'll see a great lot of articles and shows there. We make a new video or podcast show every single day from conservative uh, commentators and writers from around Australia, and uh, as well as having lots of great articles um, about 
uh, commentary and, and things that are going on. Uh, Wednesday, tomorrow morning, we have the Lyle Shelton Show, uh, and that's going to be something to look forward to. Uh, and, uh, and then Thursday morning, a really great show from Professor David Flint called Take Back Your Country, a topic which uh, lots of us uh, who are supporting the, the initiatives going on tonight will really enjoy. David Flint is a professor emeritus of constitutional law and uh, also was one of the leaders of the uh, No campaign to change Australia to uh, change Australia's constitution and, and make us a republic a little while back. Thank goodness that lost. Um, also, think big thank you to the supporters who continue to make production of all of these shows, articles um, possible. Um, your small monthly contri contribution um, just helps grease the wheels and make sure we can devote the time, as Topher said, necessary just to make a good show before we even get to the filming stage. Uh, so let's go around the screen and um, starting with you, Monica, your final thoughts just to wrap up the evening. I'm not going to be heavy at the end here. I actually just want to give you guys a trick that me and my family use. At the moment, everything's very heavy. The media is just all very depressing. Jody and Topher know that. They live in Victoria, but it's all over Australia and the world right now. When we find ourselves regurgitating the same information and not presenting anything new at that moment, we just say, red alert, red alert, and it just changes the topic straight away. So obviously if you've got something new to say, that's fine, but if you're just preaching to the choir, just say red alert and laugh a little bit, giggle and change the subject and talk about the weather. I don't know, just talk about something else. That's my trick. That's my tip for the end of the night. Brilliant. And uh, Jody, um, your final thoughts for the evening. Oh, I love that, Monica. That was a great thing. Um, and absolutely, um, I think that we can get so crowded down with this that we have to really be um, mindful of what we are feeding our mind. So I would say, make sure you're feeding it with some good stuff. Make sure that you are taking time out for you and that you yeah. are in looking at every little tippet of everything, the green grass, the sun, those mm -hmm. joyous moments that with the people that you love. That's my final take. Mm. Brilliant. And and would you say, Jody, that uh, feeding yourself positivity and the good stuff might include the good source? <laughs> Absolutely. Get on to the good source <laughs> because that gives you a takes the blink source and gives you a different view on things for sure. Thank you. And uh, Topher, your uh, I'll actually make that a um, make that a promo clip, Jody. <laughs> Topher, your final Great. thoughts for the evening. <laughs> Look, um, I'm actually just scrolling through my feed here. I, I don't know how long ago it was that I wrote something up that I think is worth sharing at this moment. So if you'll bear with me for just a second, perhaps maybe bump me to the very end and I'll find what it is that I want to read. Deal. Uh, Corin, uh, your final thoughts for the evening. Oh, I'm going to plug my show. But, you know, I would, actually, I would actually just like to say, much as I say that my show is about family law, some people have actually contacted me to say it's really interesting and it's not what I thought it was going to be and it's not all uh, it's not all about the family law courts. What I really wanted to do with the show is actually start to join the dots between key issues and key issues that people don't want to talk about. So, you know, joining the dots between 
family law, mental health, male suicide. These are all huge topics that mainstream media ignores. And there is a, a very clear connection between all of those topics that they don't want you to see. So my show every week is about shining a light on those things, basically, and helping people see how those things are joined and um, piecing it together. Mondays, 5 a.m. <laughs> Topher, all you. Thanks, David. This is something that I wrote on Are You OK Day, and it just came to mind as we were we were talking, because fundamentally I am an optimist, and I have a huge amount of optimism to, for the future and a huge amount of faith in my fellow Victorian and my fellow Australian. Uh, so this is what I wrote on Are You OK Day. Dear Victorian government, no, we are not OK. We haven't spent time with family and friends for months now. We're confined to our homes for 23 hours a day. Every time we leave our house, we risk harassment and punishment from overzealous enforcers. We are barraged relentlessly by the TV and radio and billboards everywhere, telling us that we are in mortal danger. We're told that if we break the rules, then we might be a murderer. When we ask for these measures to be justified, to see the reasoning that underpins them, we're called names and compared to Holocaust deniers. We are watching as people mm. we care about lose everything, perhaps as we lose everything. We're seeing our children sad and lonely and confused because one day they saw their friends and then suddenly they never saw them again. We are not okay, but we will be okay. The sun still rises, the wind still blows, the rain still falls. But this sun rises over a people who have had an awakening. We finally understand the truth that a government strong enough to give you everything you want is strong enough to take everything you have. These winds have become winds of change, winds that fuel the fires of freedom in the hearts of a small but relentless minority who have found new focus, new purpose. They have found a hill they are willing to die on. These rains water fertile soil as people's hearts have been plowed by these trying times, made ready for new growth, the growth of the tree of liberty. And these people are joining forces, finding each other, realizing they are not alone. They are growing beyond the reach of the fears that hold back lesser men, and they are finding their voices, making their plans, and stealing their hearts for the most important fight of their lives. So no, we are not okay, but we will be. No thanks to you, but thanks to each other. Mark my words, we will be okay. Very good, indeed. I got shivers. I got shivers. Well done. Yeah. I got tears. Yeah. Oh, that was yeah. gorgeous. So anyone that has is now there's a nice compliment, Topher. Channeling Thomas Payne. Thomas Payne? Uh, not intentionally, but that is very, very kind. Thank you. Um, yeah, but anyone that's struggling with with hope, anyone that needs someone to talk to, if you don't have somebody else, please reach out to my page, facebook.com, Topher Field. Happy to have a chat. I'm in a good place right now. So you can dump on me. You can unload. It's fine. I'm in a good place uh, and I'm happy to hear from people. I'm happy to talk to people. We are going to get through this and we are going to be okay. Very good. Thank you, Topher. Thank you to everyone for uh, joining us tonight. It's um, always a, a privilege to meet new people and, and explore. And, and I like that uh, there's uh, a couple of people who I really don't know how you might vote normally. And uh, it doesn't matter because uh, we can just have a conversation without the pigeonholes or labels. Um, as useful as they are sometimes. I'm not completely opposed to them. It's kind of trendy to be. Um, I, I think they're sometimes useful, but, you know, just to explore ideas and 
um, and and do it on on the on the face of what you actually say is is refreshing and enlightening, even if your hair might be an odd colour. Um, <laughs> just uh, just wonderful. So thank you very much, uh, everyone. Thank you to the viewers for watching and your comments, engaging with us and and sharing it. Don't forget to let me just put up that little. Uh, thing there. Don't forget to go and sign that letter. Add your name to the letter from George Christensen and Craig Kelly that we uh, showed at the beginning of the show. If you've joined us late, go back and, and watch that. Or the letter's actually um, there in, in all its glory at goodsource.news forward slash HCQ. Uh, goodsource.news HCQ. To tell the government to get out of doctor-patient decisions, add your name and support the open letter to all chief health officers you'll also have the opportunity to sign up for the good source newsletter but that's it for the show this evening and uh, look forward to seeing you in the comments section and again next tuesday night at 8 p.m australian eastern standard time um, but bye for now